0: South Park campus, I am so excited to welcome Ken Schultz today to continue our Beyond series through the book of Acts. I'm actually at Robbins Air Force Base preaching today at the chapel, so pray for me, and I am certainly praying for you today. But I am so honored to have Ken join us. Ken has been on staff with Search Ministries here in Charlotte for 20 years. He's married to Kim, and and they've been a part of our church for many, many years. So would you give a warm New City welcome to Ken Schultz? Thank you for that. We'll close in prayer and be all done with this. And it could be downhill after that. But uh, I uh, add my welcome to the South Park campuses and a happy Father's Day. Uh, As a dad and a grandfather, it's a big day. And uh, so I hope it is for you as well. Uh, I really am honored to be here and to get the opportunity to speak to y'all. Uh, I really am grateful for this church. Kim and I came here in 2000, and uh, it it is kind of surprising. I said that last night, and I thought, wow, 19 years. I mean, where did that much time go? But uh, that's just a—that's what happens with age, I guess, is time just flies. But it's been a great, great community for us, and we're always grateful for it. And uh, I'm equally thankful for the ways that this church has partnered with us in Search Ministries. We've done a lot of different events in this sanctuary and uh, a lot of other things that we have been able to do as a result of partnership with this church. And I'm always grateful for that. One of the things that we do in Search is to help people think about talking about their faith. And our passage this morning invites us to consider doing that. Years ago, a book was written with the title, Just Walk Across the Room. And the idea was that the biggest challenge most of us face in having spiritual conversations with our friends and neighbors, even our family members, is starting the conversation. And uh, the writer was trying to paint the picture that uh, we should just begin by moving towards someone, take the first step. And uh, that's what we see in this morning's passage, and so let's go to Acts chapter 11. You can either grab a Bible or your app. Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19, and I'll read it for us here. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews, But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So for a moment I want us to look back and get the context of what's actually been going on. Chris taught us last week in the previous chapter that Peter had been invited to Caesarea to communicate the gospel to Cornelius, the Roman soldier, and to his whole household. In Acts 8, Philip had delivered the gospel to Samaritans. They were the half-Jews in the landmass of Israel. He'd also shared Jesus with the Ethiopian eunuch who would go home, and we believe from history. That he had great influence in that part of Africa. But the event occurred in southwestern Israel, what is now known as the Gaza Strip. Peter's interactions with Cornelius, a God-fearing Roman, and his household were by invitation also in the landmass of Israel, near modern-day Tel Aviv. So the Holy Spirit had been poured out on Gentiles which, of course, stirred no small amount of controversy amongst the Jerusalem church. And the church in Jerusalem sought an explanation for it. Has God actually begun to move amongst the Gentiles? Is this a gospel and rescue story for all people or just for people of Jewish origin? And as we might expect, there were some who were skeptical originally. It was one of the great challenges. It's part of church leadership is to begin to test messages, to question whether or not what is being presented is really true. But immediately prior to today's passage, we're told that after examining the facts of what Peter had said had happened in Caesarea, they glorified God saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. So this is a Ye God story, and that's where we pick up here. The persecution of Christ followers has prompted people from the Jerusalem church to begin to move out into the larger community. The best estimates of the stoning of Stephen are that it happened within five years of the death and resurrection of Jesus. The movement of the church into other regions and communities is within five to ten years. Saul's conversion is in that five to 10-year period. So where did they go? Well, we read in this passage they went to Phoenicia, which is modern-day Lebanon, northern border of Israel, Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean northwest of Israel, and Antioch, Syria, just below modern-day Turkey, and also north of Israel— It's a few miles, Antioch is a few miles inland from the Mediterranean. It was the third greatest city in the known world at that time, following Rome, of course, in Italy, and Alexandria in northern Africa. But it was known as the pleasure capital of the world, both as a result of the sexual practices in the Temple of Daphne and the 24-7 atmosphere of the larger city, maybe a lot like what we think of in terms of Las Vegas today just a crazy place. And this is the beginning of the movement of the church into the outside world. This is the first instance, this passage is the first instance of the church moving into Gentile territory. Not to Gentiles, we've already seen that, but out of Israel and into Gentile territory. And I'm going to walk us through what I think are four keys that we need to pick up on. And don't worry about copying all these down. If you take notes, they're going to show up again on the screen so you can relax. Number one, you should be prepared to be used by God. That's part of our call as a Christ follower. Just be prepared to be used by God. How do we do so? Well, we're going to look for common ground. Find the common ground with those with whom you're communicating. Third, God is always responsible for the ministry results. It's one of the most freeing things I know in all of ministry. It's God's business. It's God's responsibility to draw people to Himself. And fourth, God intends to grow the community of faith. The measure of our effectiveness is an ever-expanding circle of people who come to know Jesus. So let's go back now to verses 19 and 20. I'll look at them again here for us. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. I I think it's significant to note that the people that moved out here are not named. They're all anonymous. Everything else that we've read has been Peter or James or Philip or somebody else of significance in church history. We don't get any names here. It's not the movement of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. In fact, we're not even told that the Jerusalem church sent them. These are just people who in the process of moving through their world began to talk about Jesus. And I would suggest that it's a reminder to us that we should be prepared to be used by God in our circle of influence. God wants to use every follower of Jesus in some part of his kingdom growth. People of faith were being driven from their homeland because of persecution, but it didn't keep them from talking about their faith telling their own story Chris highlighted last week he has on a number of different occasions the significance of just telling your story as a God story there are no boring stories he's told us of how one comes to Jesus they're just different and the point of our story is the opportunity we have to connect with others in their stories you might be surprised by the opportunities that you'll get to tell your story. In this case, wherever they were going, they were talking about their experience with Jesus. Jesus told His disciples, remember, in what we call the Great Commission, and the literal wording is, As you are going throughout your world, make disciples. It's not something that we just get dressed up to go do. It's something that we're working on all the way through our lives. How well we invite people into our story. Chances are tomorrow someone is likely to ask you what you did this weekend. Will you include that you went to church? There's opportunity, number one. If the numbers are right, and I believe that they are, Less than 40% of Charlotte will be in church this morning. Chances are the people that you will interact with tomorrow and who will ask you what you did will not have been in church. And simply for you to say that you were might open a door. It might be a negative response. Oh, man, I would never do that. I got no use for that. Well, the beauty of that is, well, tell me more. Why? What's been your experience Now we're inviting someone to tell their story. The other thing that we ought to pay attention to in regard to the anonymity here is that the growth of the community of faith and trust is just as much the responsibility of the church attender for any of us sitting here as it is for the professionals like Chris or any of the other pastoral staff or a guy like me. I've often been accused of being a professional Christian. I've been doing this for 45 years. But you see, the significance is, it's not up to me. You will meet people. You will have people in your sphere of influence that would never come talk to me. And the significance for us is that you have a role in the process. And the invitation of God is just to be the agent of God wherever it is that you wind up. It's not a specialized job for the super spiritual. If you know Jesus, you've been appointed to be his agent in your community. Dallas Willard defines disciple, he prefers to use the word apprentice, as one who lives the life Jesus would live if he were married to my wife, had my kids lived in my neighborhood and did my job. In other words, it's a 24-7, 365 occupation. This is what it means to follow Jesus, that in every context. I'm the agent of God with my neighbors. I'm the agent of God in the people that I office with. We in search all have donated office space, and we're grateful for that, but that means we don't office together. I'm with a wealth management group, and I pray for every one of them every day just for the opportunity to engage in their lives and have conversations with them. I, I think one of the weaknesses of the modern church, and I'm not talking just about New City, this is the church universal, is that we have a tendency to think that only people of expertise can do the work of God. Part of that is, is the way things work in the corporate world. And, and so many other parts of our world, you, you go to a specialist if you have a medical need. You go to someone who understands cars if you have a car need. And that's right and good and true, and there's nothing wrong with that. But the problem in, in our process of giving away our faith, I, think, I often think of it when I watch the sports car commercials on TV. You got a car sliding through a corner, and the wheels are spinning, and right at the right moment, the driver pulls it out of the spin and goes flying down the the straightaway, and then you get this little proviso comment at the end of the commercial. Trained driver in controlled circumstances don't drive like this. And I think a lot of people feel like, well, you need a trained evangelist. You need a trained Bible teacher. Now you don't. No, you don't. It's never wrong to tell someone when they ask a question, gosh, I have no idea. But the beautiful follow-up would be, hey, if I get some more information on that, would you be interested in having another conversation? That's where you might go to the expert, whether it's in a book or call Chris, call me, we can sit down and have a conversation about what an appropriate answer might be, but the significance is you started the conversation. And that's what God wants for all of us. You you look at church history over the last 50, 60, 70 years, missionaries were kicked out of China and Cuba, and the church exploded in both places because the experts were gone and God just began to use people like you and me in the community. So point number two then, also in verses 19 and 20, is how how do we go about doing that? Well, find the common ground. God often uses what we have in common with our friends to help us start the conversation with those who don't share our faith. When you look at the passage, initially the Christ followers spoke only to the Jewish community in these areas, And, and you ask, well, why would they do that? Well, Jesus set the precedent for this method of proclamation when He sent the Twelve out on their first mission. He told them in Matthew 10, "'Go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.'" When Paul went to Philippi, and it's later in the book of Acts, we read, "'And on the Sabbath day he went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed,' so Luke is writing, there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. The, the point in both cases is not exclusivity, but common ground. If you're going to start the conversation, easier to start the conversation with someone who has some level of common belief. If you're going to start with someone who is belligerently anti-God, it's a whole different conversation. I have plenty of those conversations, and it is a whole different ballgame to talk to someone who does not believe in God than to paint a picture for someone who does believe in God. I had a conversation with a young guy several years ago, who was almost a spiritual blank slate, but he did have a basic belief in God, and and his life had been a little bit of a horror story, and my final question to him at our first meeting was can you even believe the possibility that there's a good God out there who has a better plan for you he almost teared up he began to tear up and he said oh I hope so and that was the beginning of our conversation was a process of walking through okay let's talk about that God Jesus sent his friends out to talk to people who already believed about God and now he was going, they were going to invite their friends to consider the possibility that God had shown up in the world. Those who come to Christ eventually begin to influence their surrounding community <clears throat> by having conversations and answering questions leading to the truth. You might remember, I I count it to be one of the weirdest stories in all the Bible, Mark chapter 5, the story of the Gerasene demoniac. It's the guy who lived in a graveyard, chains couldn't hold him down, and a legion of demons was possessing him, and when Jesus cast out the demons, they ran into a herd of pigs, and the pigs drowned themselves. A picture of what they were trying to do to the man and couldn't quite pull off. But in the story, after this happens, the community around that man begged Jesus to leave. He'd messed up their economy. He'd killed off all the pigs. Well, the man himself begged Jesus to go with him when Jesus was leaving. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You go back and tell your friends what God has done for you. Well, it's often overlooked, but two chapters later in Mark chapter 7, Jesus goes back to the same area. And the people start bringing all of their sick and people with needs to Jesus. And I think it's easy to surmise that the reason that that happened was that the man had gone back and told his story of what God had done for him. They saw the difference in him. Remember, he was unfit for human company, and now he's seated and in his right mind as the story goes. God used one man to begin to influence a community. So in our story in Antioch, believers from the island of Cyprus in the Mediterranean, the city of Cyrene in northern Africa, both of which are Greek-speaking communities, reached out to Greek-speaking Jews. So if you're like me and you don't speak Spanish and you have friends or acquaintances or you meet someone who's of Mexican or Spanish descent and you can't speak the language, you're immediately in a hole. These people went looking for the Greek-speaking people. See, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have friends, family members, co-workers, neighbors that are part of your circle of influence. And I would just ask you to start thinking, what are your common ground opportunities? What are the things that you have in common with folks? Maybe you like to grill, and it's a simple matter of inviting somebody over for barbecue. There are a lot of different things. Invite somebody to golf. Invite somebody to have a kid's day together. Common ground opportunities. You might not know what those common ground situations are until you begin to ask questions of your friends. Start the conversation. When they ask you what you did this weekend, ask them what they did. And take note and begin to pay attention. I I should warn you that it might not be the pretty parts of your life that you actually have in common with other people. Some of you have heard me say it, and I always wish I didn't have to say it, but I have three ministries that I never wanted on my resume. I am a Christian oxymoron of sorts because I'm a divorced pastor. I spend a lot of time with men whose marriages have come unglued. I'm a two-time cancer survivor. I spend a lot of time with people who have a disease that will kill them. And I have children who don't share my faith. And I spend a lot of time with people who have kids who have wandered away from church and faith. But those are my common ground areas with many, many people. I'd like to think I have my life all together and God chooses to use the parts of my life that aren't together. He might do the same with you. And don't be afraid of it, don't hide it. That's a connecting point. In verses 21 to 24 then we read, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church. In Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. Here's the good news of ministry. This is one of the most freeing things I can tell you. God is always responsible for the results. I'm just responsible to be faithful, to talk about what I know, to share what my experience has been. Let God do the rest of it. You don't always have to close the deal. You just get to be a part of God's process. It's the Holy Spirit's power and presence coupled with our faith and trust that are the key ingredients. Most mornings when I'm driving off to lead a group or to meet someone for breakfast, I pray, God, I can't do my job. If you don't show up, nothing's going to happen today. And that's freeing to know that it's God's business to make it all happen. And so catch the phrase here in in, uh, our passage, when they were speaking to others, the hand of the Lord was with them and many believed. It's interesting that there are a world of instances that we've already seen in the book of Acts where the message is shared and it's absolutely rejected. It creates problems. It gets people killed. And I don't know why in some cases it works and in other cases it doesn't. It's always been a marvel to me that I can have a group of people sitting in a room And five of them are all fired up about the gospel and what God is doing. And five of them are saying, I don't buy that. It's the same lesson. It's the same messenger. It's the same Bible. And some people respond and some people don't. And I have no idea why other than the move of God. And I believe that people are in process. Some are ready and some aren't. And some might be ready somewhere down the line. In this case, they were welcomed favorably, their message well received. Many believed and trusted Christ. The church in Jerusalem heard the reports and sent Barnabas, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Isn't that a great description? They sent him to check things out. We should remember that Barnabas is the son of encouragement. He's a Levite, so he's part of the Jewish priestly family from Cyprus, so not part of the Jerusalem community. He was someone from Cyprus, a completely Gentile community who sold a field. He gave the proceeds to the apostles. Later he was the one who brought the newly converted Saul to the same men explaining the process by which the former persecutor had come to faith. He was a man who brought people to Jesus. <clears throat> I, I, I do stop at a point here, though, and look at the description of Barnabas, and, and I count it to be a challenge to me, to my own character and my own reputation. How would people define me? How would people define you? Am I merely a good guy, or am I full of the spirit and faith? The goal of life is not just to be a good person. As a Christ follower, I'm called to be the agent of God in my community. Power and impact come from the move of God in our lives. We only become who we're intended to be when the Spirit of God indwells us and empowers us to do life with God through His movements in and through us. Don't have to have your life all together. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get it all together before you can talk about your experience. In fact, sometimes it's your struggles, as I've already highlighted, that are the places that you will connect best. But people will notice if you're a person of godly character. Here's another thought about Barnabas. It could be argued that we would never have the letters of Paul if he hadn't gone to get him to bring him back to Antioch. He had introduced Paul to the Jerusalem community, but he'd gone back to his hometown of Tarsus. Barnabas goes and gets him and brings him back. Early in my ministry with Young Life, I started with Young Life many years ago, somebody said in one of our training deals, the next Billy Graham might be sitting in your Young Life Club. It's a crazy thought, isn't it? But somebody was Billy's Sunday school teacher. Somebody was a youth director for Billy Graham. And who knows who might come as a result of you simply having a conversation with someone. So what's the takeaway from that little this little passage? Remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Be faithful. <clears throat> Trust God for the results. Fulfill the role to which you've been called, not the role to which I've been called or someone else has been called. Just do your part. Accept that ministry is always a process. It's never an event. You might have one conversation. Billy Graham is known to have said when someone comes to Christ, there are 20 people involved. 19 think they did nothing, and one thinks they did everything. <clears throat> Maybe you're just one of the 19. But your story can have impact. And so, what are the results for which we pray? Well, that leads us to our fourth point here. <clears throat> Verse 25 and 26 Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he'd found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. We already highlighted Barnabas, but here's the point. God intends to grow his community of faith. The church is intended to grow. It's intended that other people will come to faith, and so there should always be... An ever-expanding circle of agents of God in our communities. And so the question that I ask of myself and we should ask as a church is the result of our life and ministry an ever-expanding circle of others who are moving out into the world to give away what we've found in Christ. Are we seeing more opportunity? What has become known as the Great Commission in Matthew 28 was never intended to be merely a call to help people define their eternal destiny, what happens when they die. This is not about selling get-out-of-hell-free cards, that you get your card, you pray your prayer, you get your card, you stick it in your wallet, and you don't need to do anything with it until the day you die and you hold it up when you get to the gates. No, 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 this is a whole new way of living. This is a whole new life. This is a whole new experience of God. Our call is to make disciples, to make apprentices to Jesus' way of life and His mission in the world. As my ministry partner and friend, Davis Kirkendall, regularly says, our mission is to see spiritual grandchildren. Someone comes to Christ through our ministry The beauty is when someone comes to Christ through their ministry. Until others are moving out into their families and neighborhoods and places of work, we're not being as effective as God has called us to be. So what did Barnabas do with his awareness of God's grace when he saw what was going on in Antioch? Well, he celebrated it with gladness, and he challenged the new believers to hang in for the long haul. He invested in their journeys. He didn't just give the message and then walk away. He stuck around to help in the process. It's a simple celebration of the move of God and a call to an ongoing commitment and faithfulness. But not only that, but he went looking for others to help him, and so he goes to get Saul. Ministry is always best done with partners, Find people you can partner with in your mission. Together they taught the church for a year. Paul and Barnabas obviously understood it to take much effort on the part of local leadership to help people there to grow into the faith life with Jesus. It's always a process. We come to Christ, we begin to grow up in Christ and we spend the rest of our lives growing up in Christ. And so it was in Antioch Right there at the end of the passage that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians. Up until that time they were known as members of the way. Jesus had said, I am the way, and so they were noted as followers of the way. But it appears, however, that others began to describe them as Christ's ones. They were those who had determined to follow Jesus as the anointed one, the Messiah of God. They belonged to Him, and so do we, if we have become apprentices to His way of life. Love for others will be the greatest testimony to the Lord we serve. Part of that love is to just reach out to others with the good news that we have found To be a follower of Jesus is to be becoming like Him and to be accepting our part in His big plan to draw the world to Himself. The essence of the gospel is really pretty simple. God pursued us. God came looking for us. You look at Bible history, starting in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve blow up the world and God shows up. And the whole of Bible history is God showing up, God pursuing, and ultimately God pitching his tent in our neighborhood in the person of Jesus. And what did we see? We saw grace and truth. The full glory of God in grace and truth. We have been invited to be agents of that grace and truth in our community. You will have opportunities that I will never get. I pray that you would take advantage of those. And so we can make this really simple. Start by praying for somebody, praying for opportunities. You might not even have a person on your heart, but maybe you do. And just pray for the opportunity to engage them. Pray for the opportunity to serve them, to care for them, to do something for them. Pray that you, like Peter, as Chris described last week, will simply be a door opener, a beginning to their process. Look for what you have in common, even the junk in your life that God has redeemed. The word "redeem" simply means to buy back and restore to original intent. God even buys back the junk in our lives to be useful for the gospel. And then trust God to move. It's His business. He's responsible. You're just part of the process. And I believe that God's circle will expand. Let's pray towards that end. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, thank you for coming into our world, to making yourself known, for not waiting for us to find you. We never would have. But you came looking for us. You never gave up on us. And we are all in process. I pray that each of us would take our next step towards you. And maybe that next step is just to step towards someone else and say, hey, how can I be helpful to you? Can I tell you my story? I'd love to hear yours. I pray that we would trust you for those results and believe that you are going to expand the circle. And I look forward to seeing how that will happen. And I thank you in advance. In Jesus' name, amen.